Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And the other day I was on Atlanta's public transit system and I noticed this guy who's wearing a jacket and it's for the Negro Leagues, the baseball teams. And... What specifically caught my attention was the logo, and it said, for the brothers who played but didn't get paid. And we're going to be talking about that today. I miss so much by not writing Marta. This is the second installment in our series on Black History Month, and today we're going to be talking about Satchel Page. And when you think of the Negro Leagues and the integration of baseball, you're probably thinking of Jackie Robinson, or at least Sarah and I were. He was the first to break a 60-year color line, and he went on to be a star. But he was not that huge star when he joined the Brooklyn Dodgers in uh, 1947. He was young, and he was chosen for his promise, but also for his ability to withstand the inevitable racial slurs. Yeah, he was a safe public face for the integration of baseball. The big star at the Negro Leagues at the time, was Satchel Page, And he had been working in these subtle ways to integrate baseball decades before Robinson was ever signed. And he played with and against some of the most talented players in baseball, white and black. He entertained people across the country. And he eventually earned one of the highest salaries in baseball. But because of this unspoken segregation of the major leagues, he doesn't become a big leaguer until he's 42 years old, which makes him the oldest rookie in history. So let's get started on this career. Because his prime seasons were spent before baseball was integrated, we don't have a bunch of fantastic stats to throw at you, or at least. Sabermetrics. We don't have the <laughs> sabermetrics, um, but a few to get us started. He was reputed to have pitched 2,500 games during his career. He won 2,000 of them, so think about that for a second. And he pitched 55 no-hitters by his own estimate, which is pretty which impressive. Is insane. <laughs> Absolutely insane. So consequently, some people call him the best pitcher in history. And a bunch of our details we'd like to say uh, come from a fresh air interview with author Larry Ty, who wrote a book called Satchel, The Life and Times of an American Legend, if you'd like to pick it up. Yeah. So we're going to start at the beginning. Satchel was born July 7th, 1906 in Mobile, Alabama, as Leroy Robert Page. And his family changed their name to Page with an I in the middle from Page with no I because he said it made them sound more high-toned. His mom thought it looked too much like a page in a book, I think. So he's the seventh of 12 kids, and uh, because his father isn't really a major presence in their life, the children learn early on that they're going to be poor and they have to earn what they can. And um, just one thing, though, that he does appreciate from his father, he gets his approval to be a baseball player, even as a kid, uh, instead of a landscaper. This is something that his mom never approves of. No, she said that she thought baseball was sinning, always playing, and never working. Yeah, too bad. So by the age of nine, uh, Satchel's working at a railway station, and he's toting bags, or satchels specifically. (laughs) So he develops a system of pulleys and ropes so he can carry multiple bags and make more money. And his friends tell him that you look like a walking satchel tree. So that's how he gets his nickname. 
And this is one of my favorite quotes from Sarah's outline. She says, young Satchel has a knack for hurling things and not just baseballs. <laughs> but it's true. He could throw a rock or a brick and take down a chicken or a squirrel at tremendous speeds. And he can also hit kids. He, <laughs> he fights with uh, rival gangs of kids. And um, he would psych out his his opponents by throwing what he later called the hesitation pitch. Basically, he'd lift his arm and start to pitch. And his opponent would duck. And after they had ducked and they couldn't move, he'd nail them with a rock or whatever he was throwing. But in his youth, Satchel turned to petty crime and was sent to reform school, the Alabama Reform School for Juvenile Negro Lawbreakers. And the school was set up along the Booker T model of Negro self-help. So they work hard and they also do athletics, which is a lot like Babe Ruth. Sarah was telling me earlier yeah. that he also went to reform school, and that's where he learned how to play. Yeah, and it, this ends up being a good thing for Satchel. He has a coach who recognizes his ability, and um, he leaves the school with not only athletic prowess, but discipline and baseball skills. And by 1924, he presents himself to Candy Jim Taylor, who manages the Mobile Tigers, and uh, they're a semi-pro black team. He gets the job by sending him 10 fastballs, and that's it. He's, he's won him over. Also how I got my job here at How Stuff Works, little <laughs> known story. He joined the Negro Leagues in 1926 for the Chattanooga Black Lookouts, and he pitched for a bunch of teams in both the Negro Southern Association and the Negro National League, um, the Birmingham Black Barons, the Baltimore Black Sox, the Cleveland Cubs, Pittsburgh Crawfords, Kansas City Monarchs, the New York Black Yankees, and the Memphis Red Sox. His career really kind of takes off with the Crawfords, but we're going to talk a little bit about what the Negro Leagues are all about, because, I don't know, I don't think we knew very much about them before no, this. No, I definitely didn't. So they're actually professional black ball players as far back as the 19th century, but Rube Foster is the guy who really brings... Um, a functioning Negro League together in the 1920s. And he actually dreams of having this black major league that would play the best of the white big league clubs. And they'd come together in a multiracial World Series at the end of the year, black versus white. And there's some major financial instability in the leagues. But by World War II, Negro baseball was a $2 million a year industry. Journeyman players are making about $400 a month. But someone who's a star like Satchel Paige could get $1,000 a month. But there's a little more to it than that. Yeah, the black players are playing a lot of games, like up to 150 games in a season. And they're working all year, pretty much, most of them. They're having to go out and barnstorm, which is something that we're going to talk about later. But another thing we should mention is that they're not always going up against other Negro League teams. You think today, Major League Baseball player plays other Major League teams, right? But the majority of these guys' games are actually against white or non-league teams. So they're playing outside of their own league. And Negro League baseball games were a huge part of the social life of black Americans at the time. People would dress up, and the biggest games were on Sunday afternoon, so a lot of people would just go after church, according to 
Tai, the men we mentioned earlier who wrote the book on Satchel Page. Ministers would even let out church early so you could go. Yeah, and Satchel becomes the star attraction of these big Sunday matchups. He's always in them. He's always the, the feature draw. And he's a real showman, too, in addition to being a great baseball player. And that's part of the job for a Negro League player. You, you have to be showy enough to attract a white audience as well as a black audience and to disarm them enough so that, um, so that they're willing to watch you. And he was good at it. One of his little tricks he'd like to do before the game, he'd set up some teeny tiny object like a matchbook on the home plate. And then he'd proceed to throw pitches right over the plate. Like ridiculously fast pitches. So the fans would go completely crazy and the opponents would think, what did I get myself into? Yeah, you can just imagine sitting there watching this guy warm up, (laughs) basically. Um, And he also shuffles his six foot three frame out to the mound. He knows that the game can't start without him. So he takes his time and really milks it for everything it's worth. Uh, He's, he's funny, but he also is kind of elegant. He never crosses a line to degrading himself. He did have a crazy wind up. Um, Sometimes he did a single, a double or a triple windmill before he threw. And he did this high kick when he slingshots the ball forward. Um, there are a bunch of pictures of yeah, him if where you, he's... If you do like a Google image search for Satchel Page, you're probably going to find this picture of him with his foot about up to his up face. To his face. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he names his pitches, too. He calls them bloopers, loopers, and droopers. He's got a barber pitch. He has a nightmare pitch, which he says he dreamt up in a nightmare. <laughs> he has the long tom and the little tom. Uh, it's funny, though. His catchers say that they're all really the same pitch. It's He's got a fast pitch, and he has a really fast pitch. And then later, he eventually has a curveball. And there were, of course, no radar guns, but he... People think he pitched at about 100 to 105 miles per hour. So back to the barnstorming we mentioned earlier. Um, he pitched in these big Sunday matchups, but during the week he did barnstorming, which was basically playing in any small town that would pay him. He traveled as many as 30,000 miles a year, and sometimes he's going up against semi-pro teams, white, black, whatever. Um, sometimes they're just country boys who have pooled together their money and they want to play against a great baseball player. Um, in the winter, he goes to the Dominican Republic and to the Mexican leagues to play. And someone as good as Satchel could even work out special deals where, say, he pitched one inning or three innings for a team, um, either black or white, as a guest star. Yeah. But the crazy thing here is Satchel pitched every day, and pitchers don't do that. I mean, we were thinking about today... You'll see a pitcher after after he's done a few innings with ice on his shoulder in the locker room, and then he goes on rest for a while. But this guy is out there pitching every single day, and he just gets better and better. But the barnstorming can be a little scary, especially in the Jim Crow South, because... I mean, you never know what's going to happen. So Satchel did have some conditions for when he was barnstorming. There was no game unless he had somewhere to sleep and eat afterward, which, you know, fair enough. It's basically like we're not going to play baseball with you and then risk getting driven out of town after this. Um, I I liked Ty actually called him a quiet racial pioneer for this, just putting down his foot to a certain extent. Uh, One thing he would also do, and sometimes this was just to show his own team or audience how good he really was, but oftentimes it happened after a racial slur, but he would dismiss his fielders. Like in the middle of a game with loaded bases, he would dismiss his fielders. And sometimes he'd just bring in the outfield 
um, so if you if you hit a ball into the outfield, you'd have an automatic home run, and they just sit around pretending to play poker with the infielders. Sometimes he'd bring in all of his fielders, send them all, you know, off. And he'd do this against big league people, too, not just second-rate opponents who was trying to even the playing field a little. This was against legitimate competitors. I think he proved his point. Yeah. But all of this barnstorming, part of it was exposing white audiences to black players and maybe, perhaps, making some of them a little more open-minded about the idea of an integrated league. Yeah, this is definitely paving the way for the ultimate integration of baseball. He played in a lot of places where there were practically no black people at all, like in Bismarck, North Dakota. Yeah, he actually walks out on a contract to go play on this white semi-pro team in Bismarck, and it's integrated baseball a decade before it's integrated in the majors. And it's almost a test, too. You know, like, what does a integrated baseball field look like? And it it looks good. Satchel becomes a big star in Bismarck after a few games. You know, he's not ultimately welcome there, but it it ends up working out really well for him. He takes the team all the way to a regional tournament. As Satchel's reputation grows, he starts collaborating with some white major leaguers who are also barnstorming. Uh, he teams up with Dizzy Dean for a while because they both know that they'll make money from people who want to see the greatest of the great face off, but also from people who just want to see a race battle. Yeah, and this, of course, changes opinions with some white players, too. If you play with someone and you get to know them, you might come to respect them a little more. And this happens with Dizzy. He actually says stuff like, if Satchel and I teamed up together, we'd clinch the pennant by the 4th of July and we could go fishing until the World Series. So this is a guy who comes to respect someone who he who we didn't ultimately. Oh, yeah, converted good old boy. And these matches prove that Satchel is just as good as anybody else. He struck out Rogers Hornsby five times in one game. Um, in a 1934 game that went into 13 innings with Dizzy Dean, he got a 1-0 victory. Yeah, pretty amazing stuff. He makes a lot of money, too, Satchel does. By 1940, he's making $40,000 a year. And um, according to Ty, that's four times what the Yankees were making, which I thoroughly approve of. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, it's exactly what DiMaggio was making. And it's twice what Ted Williams was making. And he lives it up, too. He's got a closet just for his shoes, four for his suits. He's got all these cars, 15 shotguns and cameras. He's uh, living the good life here. But he has to work year-round and pitch every single night. And he doesn't get a winter break. So... You know, after barnstorming with these great white players, he sees them go off to the big leagues, but he can't. So Sarah and I were saying earlier, how hard would it be to watch someone like DiMaggio go off off. to great fame and you're still stuck where you are? Well, you know you're just as good as them and you should be playing with them. It would be so frustrating. But the segregation of baseball is coming to an end. By the war, managers of white teams are starting to consider bringing in black players. Some of it is just to show the Red Sox hold these ridiculous kind of fake tryouts in 1945. And we do love the Red Sox, but this is not a good period of history for them. But some managers really are serious about it. By 1945, the Brooklyn Dodgers president general manager, Branch Rickey, has put into motion the secret plan to sign an African-American player. And he, of course, finds and signs Jackie Robinson, October 23, 1945, um, who at the time was a first-year shortstop for the Kansas City Monarchs. 
It's a black team, obviously. Um, Robinson spends the 46th season in the minors before he's promoted to the Dodgers in 1947. So the question here is, why wasn't it Satchel, who was the huge star, who broke the color barrier? Well, there are a few reasons. To start, he was old or on the older side for a starting baseball player. And the year that Ricky is hunting for this person, he wasn't having a great year. He yeah. was also expensive. He never would have conceded to starting in the minors like Jackie did. And he's really unpredictable. He says these crazy things and puts on these shows, and he's a bit too much of a loose cannon for the people who want someone, you know, who will be very correct in front of all the cameras. Yeah. So Satchel gives a real PC answer when Robinson starts, and he says, you know, they couldn't have picked a better man than Jackie. But later, he does show a little injury from from this decision, and he says that he should have been signed first. He was the one who was seriously integrating baseball, even back in the 1930s, and said that it killed something inside of him, not being picked. And Jackie Robinson wasn't very sympathetic to his plight. In his mind, Satchel was from a different era. He was unpredictable. He lived to excess. He just wasn't the kind of man that Jackie Robinson wanted to be. Yeah, and I actually think this is one of the sadder aspects of the story and that uh, one of the sadder sides of segregated baseball is that you should have these two men on the same side. You know, you imagine if they played together Today, it would be a situation where Jackie Robinson coming up would admire someone like Satchel Paige and hope to play with him someday. But instead, you just have these guys who are irreparably different from each other. Satchel does end up in the big leagues, though. He's signed to the Cleveland Indians in 1948 by Bill Beck when he's 42. But he's introduced pretty slowly and carefully since he is old and people are skeptical about him in People general. think Vac might be just pulling a publicity stunt. Yeah. He's used his relief six times before he starts, but when he does start, the team beats the Washington Senators 5-3, to three, which he follows up with two shutouts. And he helps the Indians get to the pennant, and they win the series that year. And Satchel has the second-best ERA in the American League, and he gets 12 votes for Rookie of the Year, which I I love that. How could you not vote for him <laughs> as Rookie of the Year? A year later, though, Bill Vec loses his controlling interest in the Indians and Satchel's let go. Um, but he joins up again with Vec later when he buys the St. Louis Browns, who today they're the Baltimore Orioles. And he's a relief pitcher through 1953 and a pretty good one. Um, he makes it onto the Major League All-Star team in 52 and 53. Um, and after 53, he's released and goes on to play in the minors again, barnstorms, even appears with the Harlem Globetrotters as a guest. But he comes back briefly in 1965 for one game with the Kansas City Athletics, and he really hands it up. He's got a rocking chair in the bullpen. The nurse is attending to him. (laughs) Just in case. But he pitches three scoreless innings, which makes him the oldest person to pitch in the majors at 59. So I think this is classic uh, Satchel here, kind of hamming it up, but... Ultimately, he has the goods to back it yeah, all up. Yeah, he can back it up. At the end, he calls this game the end of his 100-year career in baseball, which I also think is funny. <laughs> so later, he's brought in briefly as a pitching coach for the Atlanta Braves in 1969, but the owner of the Braves was um, giving him a favor, actually. He needed one more year to qualify for his pension, so he didn't really do much as well, a pitching coach. Yeah, and the owner also wanted to drum up a little support for the Braves. They just moved to Atlanta, and Satchel's a big name, obviously. Um, 
Satchel's inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1971, and this makes him the first player to make the Hall based on his Negro League record. And there was some dispute over this because, you know, Satchel's got a good major league baseball record, but it's not very long, and it's not the kind of thing that's going to get you in the Hall of Fame. It's obviously his previous experience that would qualify him as a great baseball player. But the Hall initially says, uh, you know, okay, we'll induct him into the league, but we're going to put him in a different hall, a different place. No. And there's just this huge (laughs) outcry over it. People do not want a segregated Hall of Fame after decades of segregated baseball. No. And when he is inducted in the same corridor as everyone else, (laughs) he said it was the proudest moment of his life. His real dream, though, was to become a manager after his playing days were over here. And he even says in his Hall of Fame speech that he's ready. He's ready to manage. And he probably would have been pretty good. He had an amazing memory for batting stance. He, um, When he was a player, when he was shown pictures of unidentified players, just chest down, no faces shown, he could recognize most of them just from just from their batting stance. But no one takes him up on this whole manager thing. And so instead he goes on to other things. He's got seven kids in middle age with his second wife. So he's got a family to support. And he tries some other jobs. He runs for public office and is briefly a deputy sheriff. But again, he knows that pitching is what he's good at. and It's what he's meant to do. Yeah, and he, he just works for anyone who will hire him. He's still barnstorming. And this is where it gets a little sadder. You know, you have this increasingly elderly guy who's out there barnstorming, always on the road. Um, But he did give some famous advice (laughs) on how to stay young. And most of it is just sort of funny, like avoid fried meats, which angry up the blood. Katie and I have actually been posting these on our on our Twitter page this week. Yes, if you'd like to find us, we're at Missed in History. There are a whole bunch of them. But that was something he didn't even adhere to himself. No, (laughs) he would actually cook catfish on a Coleman stove, like in his room. And when he was finally in the major league, his roommate couldn't stand being in the room with him because of these weird smells and scary cooking apparatus he had. I think we've all had that experience in the dorms, at least I did. But he's most famous for his final tip, which was, don't look back, somebody might be gaining on you. And Satchel Paige dies June 8th, 1982, of heart trouble and emphysema. Um, But... We should wrap up the Negro Leagues, too, because that's what starts this whole story. And integration is obviously the beginning of the end, because black fans start to focus on black players who are playing in the major leagues. And the young, talented players like Willie Mays and Hank Aaron sign on to major league teams. So it's essentially over by 1948, but not officially over until 1960. Although the Indianapolis clowns uh, with whom Aaron made his debut continued barnstorming through 1973. So that brings us to the question that we started this off with. Was Satchel Paige the greatest pitcher in history? And we have one person who definitely thinks so, and that's Joe DiMaggio. And he said that Satchel was the best I've ever faced and the fastest. So I think we're going to close it out with Joe's quote there. But if you have an opinion you'd like to send us, please email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about baseball statistics and all that sort of goodness, search for How Sabermetrics Works at www.howstuffworks.com. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 